Well, hello, Heritage family. It is so good to be with you. I want to welcome every part of our network to the second week of our Home for for Christmas message series. My name is Jeremiah. I get to be one of our teaching pastors here. And we've been in an intentional conversation of looking at what it, what it really means for us to not just experience home in this Christmas season, but to offer home to those around us. And as we've been having those conversations, and even as we've been, we've been jo- joining in moments of worship today and interaction, I don't know about you, but I keep finding my mind drifting to the wonderful memories of Christmas that I have, from from being with my family, growing up, just all of those great Christmas memories keep flooding to mind. I keep thinking of baking cookies with my Graham and then delivering them to neighbors. I I remember delivering presents anonymously with members of our family. I, I remember decorating the tree at my grandma and grandpa's place with a roaring fire in their wood burning stove as we did that. I remember Christmas mornings full of of two much stuff and Christmas afternoons full of too much food and Christmas evenings full of too much laughter and just all kinds of really, really fun memories. I grew up in the desert southwest. Many of you know that. I remember Christmas mornings where because we couldn't go out and build a snowman, we went out and we built a tumbleweed man and that was awesome. It was just incredible. I just, I, I have all of these great memories sitting at my Nanantata's house listening to their grandfather clock chime away. All kinds of great memories just kind of keep flooding to mind. But my favorite Christmas memories are, are not about any of those things. In fact, it's a, surrounding one Christmas in particular for my family. It wasn't about the meals or the treats or the presents, although I'm pretty sure this was the year I got a new bike for Christmas. I remember because Afterwards, my sister was a little upset that I could torment her with renewed speed and accuracy outside as we rode our bikes. But, but it wasn't about the gifts of Christmas. It, it had really nothing to do with any of those things. The Christmas that sticks out to me as one of the most memorable and, and the one that I, I kind of celebrate the most was the year my brother Anthony, Christian, my sister, and I all came down with chicken pox together. Okay. Now, I remember that as, as a great experience. I look on that with fondness, as you can hopefully tell a little bit. My mom does not remember that fondly at all, not even a little bit. I'm sure that's because my brother and sister were just such a handful, and, uh, and you know, I was just amazing, I'm sure. I'm sure that is not true. Um, but, uh, but I just, I look back on those, on those moments in suffering together, and there was something about it that brought us together, something about it that just kind of made each of the three of us and my mom even feel like we belonged. We had friends and cousins in, so they could get exposed to the itch virus, because that's how you did things back then, right? Now you give your kids a shot, and they don't ever have to worry about chicken pox. But, but then, you know, we just, you wanted to expose as many children as possible. So we, we had all kinds of of, uh, of people there. My sister was patient zero, and the rest of us, you know, we just, we just kind of hung out. It was great memory together as we shared a common experience, and we walked through uh, a common time together, and though it wasn't what we expected, it was a sweet, sweet time, at least for me. And there are moments in the season of busyness, in, in this time of year, where I kind of want to go back there. Not back to the the physical place, it's not even there anymore, but back to that space, those moments where the drafty double-wide trailer we were living in became home for us, and where we really felt like we experienced that together. 
You see, I, I think that highlights what's actually in your first fill-in if you're following along on your note guide today, that we all long for home. We all long for home. As we've been talking through this, this series, last week Pastor Sean did an amazing job launching our conversation and he defined home in a few ways. A couple of them that, that I really want us to kind of anchor into and hold on to is that home, home is a place where we're welcome and wanted. Home is that place where you're welcome and wanted. I don't know about you, but I, I love being in places where I'm not just tolerated, but I'm, but I'm welcomed. I love being in places I'm not there just because people love my wife and they let me tag along, right? But, but where they want me there with her together, us. That's where you're wanted. And for the sake of the conversation that we're having in this message series, we've been defining home as the place where, there's ex where we experience relationship as it should have been. Where we experience relationship as it should have been. Now, I believe we all long for home. We either can remember moments, spaces, times, environments where, where this was true and we experienced it and we want to go back there. Or we've never experienced it and we yearn to know what it's like. I think that God designed each and every one of us to know what it is to experience relationship as it should be. To be welcome and wanted in relationship with him and with others. And he implanted within us this deep-seated longing to know and experience that. One of the unique things about home when we understand it this way, though, is that it's not just something we experience for ourselves. You see, I believe, I believe we truly live in to knowing what we were meant for when it comes to this stuff of home, when we offer it to others. It's in giving space for others to feel welcome and wanted. It's in giving space for others to know and experience relationship as it should have been that we start to discover we ourselves are more and more living at home, that we found that space. It's an interesting thing where to experience it, we have to offer it. There's a passage in scripture that I think just beautifully demonstrates this idea. It's in the story of the life of Jesus. And uh, we're going to be in Matthew 16 if you want to turn there or click there. I invite you to follow along on your note guide as well. In fact, in your note guides today, you'll notice that the scriptures are kind of spread apart a little bit so that you have plenty of space to circle and underline and, and make notes as we go. But in, in this particular passage of scripture, Jesus demonstrates powerfully this idea that we were meant to belong. We were meant to experience relationship as it should be. And we are meant to offer that to others. And so before we get to the scripture, I think it's helpful for us to unpack a little bit of what the context is, of what's going on in scripture and in history at this time, because it just helps what we're going to look at make a little bit more sense to us a couple thousand years removed, okay? So Jesus has been doing incredible ministry. Everywhere Jesus goes, he's healing people. He's doing amazing things like raising the dead and healing the sick and blind people are able to see and, and people who have been oppressed and, and uh, who have been, uh, yeah, oppressed by, by demons are finding freedom from that. Jesus is offering freedom and healing in amazing ways. And that's what's been happening leading up to the passage of scripture we're going to look at today. He's fed 
thousands of people miraculously with just a couple of fish and a couple of loaves. He's been about some really good work. But every time he does that, there's a group of religious leaders who start to get upset. They are concerned that their understanding of who God is and what life is, it doesn't seem to fit with what Jesus is teaching and doing. And so they begin pushing Jesus for more signs. They begin trying to, trying to force Jesus into their model of what they think life and God should look like. And Jesus, because he's Jesus, refuses to, fill in, to, to fit into that mold. And so the, the religious leaders, they start to teach kind of, uh, they start to teach deceptively and they start to work on Jesus' demise at this time. They start to try to end the ministry of Jesus through false teaching and through just ending his, his life in ministry. That's what's happening here. So Jesus leaves some of that and he goes to a region near him called Caesarea Philippi. And I know you guys are all so familiar with that. You don't even need me to explain what's going on there, right? Like, yeah, totally. We, we vacation there. Um, but, but this region is important for a couple of reasons. One, it's named Caesarea Philippi after two different people. It's named after an emperor named Caesar. And Caesar was an ancient way of, of basically saying king or emperor. And Caesar at this time was emperor of what they called the known world. All right? So it's named after an emperor, Caesar, and after a local king, a governor kind of person, Herod Philip. So being, being the great branding agents that they were in the day, they said, let's mush those together and we'll call it Caesarea Philippi, all right? So that's how they came up with the name. Now, that's, that's important. It's going to be clear why in a moment, why that's important. But there are a couple of other things that are happening there that people go there to be a part of. One is there's worship of some pagan deities in the, in the caves and grottos around. A lot of people are going to experience that. But there is a special temple in Caesarea Philippi that has been built by, by one of the kings for the emperor Caesar. It's a temple designed to worship Caesar the emperor, who had died a few years ago. But he believed himself to be a god. He had no problems with ego, right? He believed himself to be a god, so they built this temple for him. He actually, while he was living, proclaimed himself as the divine Caesar, king of kings, lord of lords, son of God, and prince of peace. Now, those of you who have been following Jesus for a while and know your scriptures know that Jesus reclaims every single one of those titles for himself. And why that's important is this, is that when it comes to Jesus and the things of this world, hear this, that even the most powerful man in the world is really just a poser when it comes to the true authority and power, might and righteousness, goodness and kingdom of Jesus. So this is all some of the context that's happening there. Now, for those of you who are worried, the history lesson is over, okay? But this is part of what's, this is part of what's happening there. And then we see this uh, in Scripture. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, his closest followers, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, ready for this? Jeremiah. Yep. Or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? This is a strange question in a strange place, isn't it? 
In, in the region of Caesarea Philippi, where all this stuff is happening, Jesus asks his followers, who do you say that I am? And I believe he's asking that question not because Jesus is having a crisis of identity, right? He, he knows who he is. He, I believe, is in the process of calling his followers into a new sense of identity. And we're going to see that play out here. He says, so who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son not of a dead emperor, but of the living God. This is a huge moment. And if you're not if you're not familiar with the term Messiah, that's okay. It's not one that we use very often. But for the followers of Jesus, it means the anointed or God sent restorer and rescuer. The one that they had been waiting for. Peter says, you, you Jesus, you are the God sent anointed restorer and rescuer that we've been waiting for. You are the son of the living God. Nobody saw that coming from Peter, okay? People who knew Peter knew that that was not the kind of thing that he would come up with on his own. In fact, Jesus even responds this way. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. In our, in our language, we'd say, whoa, Simon, where did that come from? Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Remember, I believe Jesus is kind of digging into the sense of who are his followers, who they are, their identity. So it's significant that he begins by saying, blessed are you, Simon, the son of Jonah, the fisherman. Who until you encountered me, your whole life story was going to be that you were Simon, the son of Jonah, the fisherman, and you were going to be a fisherman, and your sons were going to be fishermen. That's what was going to happen for you. But in encountering Jesus, and in understanding that I am the God-sent, anointed re restorer and rescuer, on the rock of that foundational truth of who I am as Jesus, you, Peter, which is a, word, which is a name that means rock, are one of the rocks who's going to build this church. There's a shift in identity. No longer identified as Peter, or as Simon, the son of a fisherman, but Peter, the rock, who stands on the foundation of Jesus and helps to build a church that Jesus says even the gates of Hades won't prevail against. Hades is death. This foundational truth of who Jesus is as the God-sent restorer and rescuer is so powerful that his church is going to move, his kingdom is going to operate in such a way that even death cannot stop it. And we would see that later. Peter doesn't even really understand fully what he's saying. Because just a few verses later, we get the picture. He doesn't really understand what he's saying. But in this moment, he sees Jesus differently. And what I need us to understand is Jesus, even as he does for Simon Peter and the other disciples, would speak to you and to me today. And he would say, you no longer have to be defined by the stuff that was. You don't have to be defined by your family line. You don't have to be defined by the repeating patterns in life. You don't have to be defined by the mistakes and the errors and the challenges that you've made. But when we experience Jesus and he brings us into relationship with God as it should always have been, now, now we have new identity in him, new purpose, where the old has gone and the new has come. This is, this is such hope for us. But Jesus isn't finished yet. 
he continues. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Now, we don't use that, that term binding very much. And so it's helpful to understand. Jesus is talking about keys. And, and in this activity on earth, he says, whatever you lock on earth will be locked in heaven. And whatever you, whatever you loose or unlock on earth will be unlocked in heaven. And one thing I failed to mention about this temple to Caesar that was in Caesarea Philippi is that there were a number of temple servants who would go into that space. And you could always tell who the temple servants were, at least the ones in charge, because they carried with them, they believe, great big ornate keys, huge keys, like this big, that they would rest on their shoulder. And they were beautiful keys, functional, and they had a great big ribbon flowing off of them to, to help them work. But even from a far distance, you could see that that was a person who had the key to the temple. And what the followers of Jesus who are hearing this would understand, and what you and I need to, need to get, even though we use our keys every day, right? We, we use these pretty often, but we need to understand this about keys in this context, okay? It's that keys grant access, entry, they grant authority, and they grant responsibility. Keys grant access, authority, and responsibility. And Jesus, in speaking about giving his followers the keys of his kingdom, He's saying that they, out of who they are in Christ, have access, have authority and responsibility. Access to the things of Jesus. Access to the hope that he brings. Access to truth and life. Access to things that they never could have known outside of who he is. They have authority. Jesus said whatever they lock up on earth is locked up in heaven. Whatever they unlock on earth is unlocked in heaven. It's as if Jesus is saying that when you and I, as agents of Jesus, act in a way that we're helping heaven come alive for people, that when we unlock freedom for people, it's like heaven itself is unlocking freedom for people. Because we're doing it under the authority that Jesus gives us. When we lock up injustice, it's like Heaven is locking up the things of injustice. This is, this is such a transforming way to understand who God is calling us to be. We have access. We have authority with the power of heaven in the authority of who Jesus is as the one who created and sustains all things. With the authority of who Jesus is, who scripture says he upholds. He holds together everything even now. With his authority, we live as his agents here on earth. You see, Jesus was sharing it with his disciples that as they experience relationship with God and others as it should have been, they are now expected, they have the responsibility to go create spaces of relationship as it should have been and should be for others. Because they have access to him unfettered, clear all the way through to him and who he is. They have authority empowered by the spirit of the living God. But they have responsibility to do it. It's not an option. It's something that, that must be done. In fact, we could say it this way. It's that it's out of the overflow of our identity in Jesus that we unlock rescue and restoration for others. It's out of the overflow of our identity in Jesus that we unlock rescue and restoration for others. 
Because remember, Jesus is proclaimed and agrees that he's the God-sent rescuer. He's the God-sent restorer. And then in interacting with his disciples, not once, but then later again, he reminds them that what, what they lock up is, is locked up and what they unlock is unlocked as though heaven is doing it. What Jesus is reminding them of is it's out of who he is, their identity in him and him alone. Just e- even more real than those, than those temple servants that they would have seen walking by earlier. They should be so clearly about the work of living as Christ, as agents of his kingdom, as those operating with access and authority and responsibility, that even from a distance people can tell that they are about the work of freedom. They are about the work of restoration. They are about the work of rescue, not in their own strength, but because of who Jesus is. You see, I really believe this, that out of the overflow of our identity in Jesus, we, res- we unlock rescue and restoration for others. I think that's part of what he designed us for. I think that is where so many of us get caught up in feeling as though we're stuck Because we might encounter Christ, we might encounter him and find ourselves yearning for him, longing for him, and even experiencing moments of home with him. But when we stop there, we've only got half of it understood. Because it's in experiencing Christ and having him change who we are that we can begin to live into who we were always meant to be. And part of who we were always meant to be is to be agents of his rescue and his restoration in ways big and small. This isn't uh, a concept that was just uh, talked through in Matthew, but there, it's a thread that walks all the way through the scriptures, I believe. And one of the things for us in this season, we are right now in this season called Advent. Advent is a time in the, in the year where churches all over the world pause, the family of Jesus all over the world pauses and remembers that we are waiting. We are waiting with expectation for when Jesus will restore all things in their fullness. When he will be the ultimate restorer and rescuer. We wait in this season knowing he will at long last be seen and known as the true King of kings and Lord of lords, the real Prince of peace, the mighty one, the Son of man and Son of God. But it is not a passive waiting that we are about. You see, Advent is actually a reminder that we wait actively, that we move with intention, that we don't just wait and hope something is different. We actually live as those who have encountered Jesus, who are filled by his spirit, and who offer his restoration and rescue, who out of the access and authority and responsibility he gives us, we live and function. That concept continues, as I said, throughout the scriptures. In fact, um, there's a moment in, in the book of 2 Corinthians I want to point us to right here. It says, for God, in the scriptures, was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. He was creating space for relationship, reconciliation, creating space for relationship as it should have been. He was reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we 
Those who follow Christ, the writer is speaking about himself and his friends, but there's a strong sense of this extending to all of those who follow Jesus. So who? We, we are Christ's ambassadors. As though God is making his appeal through us. Whoa. God, creator God, sustaining God, the one who is so unlike anything you and I have ever experienced that even the angels in heaven, when they look at him, have only one thought on their mind, scriptures say. They proclaim that he is holy, 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 holy. Unlike anything, more powerful than you can fathom, beyond anything you can imagine or think, God, the one who knows you intimately and longs for you, the one who sustains you and keeps you, the one who goes before us and upholds everything, this God who knows everything about everything, who keeps the world spinning and who moves us toward purpose, this God is making his appeal through us. Anybody feel inadequate in this moment? But here's the thing. When Jesus gives us access, he makes us adequate. He gives us access and authority and responsibility so that we can say this. We speak for Christ when we say, come back to God. This at its heart, I believe, is, is the message of Christmas, that Jesus has come to restore all things, that he has come to create space of relationship as it should be, and the adventure of Christmas is for you and me to live it out, to even as we actively wait, take the access and the authority and the responsibility that's entrusted to us and in ways big and small, create space of relationship as it should have been. It's our call. This, this reminds me that those of us who have encountered Jesus, those of us who have come to know him and be changed by him, we, we are compelled, we ought to be compelled by the love of Christ to go and make this appeal, not just with words, but with how we live in practical ways because we know what it is to come home. In fact, if you've been following our series of conversations, you know that several weeks ago, we watched a 60 minutes segment called A New Columbia. And in that, it shares the story of how the, the Colombian Revolution began to wind down as people, the, the armed guerrilla fighters in the jungle, were invited to come home. And one of the tools that was used to help invite these guerrilla fighters home is that the, the ones who would choose to leave, the ones who would finally break free of, of their, in a sense, captivity in the jungle, they would then be sent back out to invite their former brothers home, to say, you really can come home, that they're waiting for you. They became, in a sense, they moved from being a warrior to an ambassador, We are called in much the same way as those who experience home to intentionally offer that space to others. So you really can, you really can know relationship as it was always meant to be. So what though? 
What, what, what do we do with this? How, how does that begin to play out for us individually and, and corporately? I believe we need, to, we need to just pause and ask ourselves, what does it mean for me, for my family? If I really believe that God has given me access and authority and responsibility, what does that mean for us? For some of us in the room, it begins with actually receiving the access that God has given us. With choosing to step into relationship with Jesus, asking him to be the one who transforms us. Who lets us leave behind the identity of the past and live into a fullness of purpose and life both now and forever. For some of us, it begins with just choosing to step into the initial access to God through Jesus. There's a tool in your sermon note guide, a, a prayer you can, you can pray that helps you come back home to God. It's not the only way, but it's a great way to do that. If you take that step today, I'd invite you, share that you took that step with someone. Someone at one of our campuses or by using the online connection card. Because we want to help you continue to process in your journey. But there are others of us who we need to live into access to the access that Jesus has won for us and that he has granted us by intentionally spending time with him and with the Father. We have unbroken access to God the Father, that all-powerful God who invites us on his behalf to live as ambassadors, who gives us access and authority and responsibility. We have unbroken access to him when we are in Jesus. How are you using that? Is it just something you hold on to because it's nice to know you have? Or are you actually stepping into spaces where it's you and God together in quiet moments with his word coming alive and washing over you, reminding you of who you are and who you were meant to be? We have access. We have authority what does it look like for you to live as an agent of authority if you are following Jesus? He has given you his authority to lock up on earth what heaven would seek to lock up on earth, to unlock on earth what heaven would seek to unlock on earth. He has given you the authority to do that. So what does it look like? Knowing even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's frightening, even when it's challenging, that you have the authority of Jesus, the King of heaven to go into broken spaces and offer his restoration. To go into the broken spaces we might be just a little bit afraid of. I'm talking about those spaces in this season where our families put the fun back in dysfunction, right? Those spaces where we're aware that even those closest to us need to see relationship restored. Are hungry to know what is good and what is right. And it can be frightening to step there. It can be costly. But we don't need to be afraid. In fact, the, the same writer who called us ambassadors tells you and I that we have not been given, the scripture says, a spirit of fear. We don't need to be afraid because we've been given a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. 
And so what that means for me is in those spaces where we are afraid to ask the question even, what it looks like for me to step into brokenness, where we're afraid of that, we have authority over that fear because the spirit God gives us is the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, the spirit of power and love and of self-control. And so we can take authority over the fear of failure. We can take control and authority over the fear of rejection. We can take authority over the fear of what it might cost and how it might feel to step into brokenness with others. Because, church, it's not just a matter of access and authority. But there's an expectation, a responsibility that we have to offer the hope that we have been given. And so as we process that, what does it look like for you, where you are in your dynamic of life? What does it look like to press into access and authority and responsibility? And I believe God can bring clarity to that even as you ask this question. It's the, it's the fill-in on your handout that you've been waiting for. Where can you offer or restore relationship as it should be? Where can you Offer or restore relationship, even today. Where can you step into that place of relationship as it should be? It is risky, but it is so good. It's hard, but it is adventurous. It may cause, it, it may call you to, to choose to step into the access God gives you and ask him to help you release some things that you've been holding on to, to, to just unlock forgiveness for someone. He has given you access to him and authority and responsibility. He has given it to us. I believe it's the, it's the restoration of relationship as it should be that is at the heart of, of what we celebrate this time of year. And living as agents of heaven, as those who do have access, who understand that, who live under and offer authority, who live out the responsibility that we have, that, I believe, is what it means to beckon people home. For Christmas. In a few moments, I'm going to pray a ascending prayer over us. I'm going, to, I'm going to pray over us a prayer that asks Jesus and his spirit of love and power and self-control to go before us. To help us to live as agents of his kingdom. Agents of his restoration and rescue. To be people faithful in access and authority and the responsibility that we have. You'll notice at each of our Quad Cities locations that throughout the room there are a few stations, crosses with keys and chains hanging on them. After I pray over us, you'll have an opportunity to move to the station nearest you and to grab hold of one of these keys and use it as a reminder of who you are and the access and authority and responsibility that you have. That it's not just something we can do, it's something we must do to offer the restoration of Jesus as though he himself, compelled by his love, were making his appeal through us. When you take that, hold on to it, a, a campus host is gonna give you some, some next steps with that, but I would invite you when you get home if you're not wearing it, place it, place it by your door where you leave in the mornings 
So you remember that you are sent as one with access, authority, and responsibility. Hang it from your rearview mirror. So even, so even on the roads this time of year, you remember that you are an agent of the kingdom of heaven with access and authority and responsibility. So I'm going to pray for us now. In fact, I'd ask you to stand, Bettendorf, you stand too. And I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing and sending over you. And as soon as I say amen, if you are saying, yes, I yearn to live in terms of creating spaces of home for those around me. I yearn to live as one who knows and offers relationship as it should be. To be a person living out access and authority and responsibility. Then I'd invite you, after I say amen, to move and receive one of these. Let me pray over us. Our Father, the one who calls, who empowers, who gives strength and courage, look upon us as your sons and daughters, whom you've also called as ambassadors of your kingdom. Give us your spirit of love, your spirit of power, your spirit of self-control. May these gathered be set apart for you as agents of your restoration to those around us. Send us as people offering home as we go into family and work and school and community places marked by brokenness and bondage. Empower us to unlock freedom and wholeness in your name. As you reminded us that we have access, authority, and responsibility in your kingdom, remind us always that we hold the key to unlock in the lives of others what you wish to unlock. And church, may the blessing of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen.